Hey guys, welcome to the Progressive Outlook. This is Dave. If you didn't listen to the update previously, I'm just basically telling you right now, I changed format of the podcast instead of it being news related, constantly updates and headlines of this, this, and that. I'm focusing on one or two topics per podcast and just exploring on there uh, more detail in those and with my opinion on it and with the historical influence on there because it's really hard to talk about politics without a dash of history no matter what anyone tells you it's really important but uh yeah let's go with this and on with the show history is a self-writing dictionary it explains the actions of the past to the reader whether they're good or bad you get a sense of how it got there it underlines the present for you with references in the past. You get a better understanding of something when you look into the history that can help explain it. Some things in today's politics can't be fully understood without looking back at the history that shaped it today. Uh, for example, if you're uh, against reforming gun control laws, you have to look at the Black Panthers. Their existence created gun control laws. Turmoil in the Middle East goes back to the Allied powers in World War I breaking up the Ottoman Empire and establishing their own heads of government to control them. As for reparations, it isn't a handout. It is solely about putting a band-aid on 400 years of slavery. It's about acknowledgement and accountability of the past. When Julius Caesar literally fought the Senate of Brutus, Cicero, Scipio, and Cato, and Cassius, it was all during the Roman Civil War. He didn't take them as prisoners, he didn't put them in chains, he didn't execute anybody. He pardoned as many people as he could. He didn't crucify the army or behead the senators. And Quoted when he heard of Cato taking his life, he said, Cato, I must grudge you your death as you grudge me the honor of saving your life. End quote. Julius Caesar knew he would lose the people's favor if he punished the senate, Roman style basically, instead pardon and let everyone go off easy was his doing. Now, we know how that ended up. In the Ides of March, yeah, he was stabbed to death during a Senate session in Pompey's theater. So let's fast forward a little bit to Lincoln. All right, he had a decision on his hands nearing the end of the Civil War. The North was getting fed up with how long it was dragging out, and southern cities and states were wrecked from warfare, and he had to decide on how he would handle the fallout the Confederates brought upon themselves as he's president of the United States that reclaimed these divided states back. Now, he didn't arrest or hang Robert E. Lee and the Southern armies. Uh, instead, they kept their lands and only their sidearms as a form of clemency and pardons in a way to prevent another civil war from erupting. We know how that ended when he was shot in the head at Ford's Theater uh, merely five days after the military surrender at Appomattox Courthouse. And keep in mind, it was just a military surrender, so it wasn't a legitimate surrender between two states because the North Niagara recognized the Confederate states as a legitimate state. Um, treaties can't be written because treaties are between two nations. They weren't a nation at all. They're a band of rebels. However, like I said, clemency was passed upon them. And that's the United States. Now, the United States is still a young government. And it's an experiment with lasting repercussions. And there's a reason why a lot of people cite Germany's response to the Nazis. They acknowledge the war crimes and still punish war criminals no matter their age. 
and all the kids have mandatory school trips to the concentration camps and understands the horrors that their ancestors committed and why they were wrong. Now, Nazism isn't stamped out, but they haven't marched up to their government's secret power trying to interrupt any processes that they have and dispose their government. That hasn't gone down. But once you forget your history, that's when things start to repeat. Um, just about a decade ago, I remember I was watching a news report or a documentary. It was about Russia and the depressions that they were going through. But one thing is that, of course, we know that it's a very homophobic state and they're persecuting a lot of people that are gay. And one sense of community that's doing that is the rise of Nazis in Russia. And that is actually a part of Nazism was anti-gay. And I was talking to a friend of mine and... He quoted, I, I want to quote something that he said when I brought it up to him. Like, it's pretty interesting that uh, the country in World War II that lost the most casualties to the Nazis is now several, several years, decades later, embracing those enemies. And he said, this, that's what happens when you forget the past. And I thought about that. I'm like, that's exactly it. That's exactly it. Because I'm sure those ancestors that fought the Nazis would be mad as hell seeing that there's a resurgence in Russia. The people that they fought against are there. And that's what happens when you don't acknowledge your past or just forget about your past and move on with things there. If you don't hold on and still think about the past and reference it, use it as a basis for things, just so you don't revert back to it. So even if the repercussions were enacted later down the line, Something should have happened regarding the United States. Um, instead, the rebels who fought the, the U.S. were accepted and catered to open racists who opposed black rights uh, later down the road, which is what ended up happening. So during the Reconstruction era following the Civil War was the effort to reintegrate southern states from the Confederacy and four million newly freed people into the United States. We have black people newly freed and released to the country because of the 13th Amendment. But a set of laws called the Black Codes found loopholes in the 13th Amendment and exploited those written words to exploit black people. So what are the Black Codes? The Black Codes were created to preserve the privileges of slavery in terms of like free labor um, from newly free blacks and to prevent free black men and women from asserting their new civil rights supported by this constitution. So for example, white planters in these states deny black people the chance to rent or buy land. Instead, they pay them a pittance to still farm and work in their crops. So they were paid enough money to actually move, but they were paid to just keep doing this, the labor work that they were doing previously. They also mass incarcerated as many people as they could and enslaved them back into this system that they had. They prohibited, quote, loitering and vagrancy. Uh, to quote M. Keith Claybrook Jr., an assistant professor in the Department of Africana Studies at California State University in Long Beach, uh, quote, they said, the idea was that if you're going to be free, you should be working. If you have three or four black people staying around talking, they're actually vagrant and could be convicted of a crime and sent to jail, end quote. But basically it's that, like, they 
actually try to make laws of loitering. Actually, they did make laws of loitering and vagrancy and saying if they saw any black people just hanging around, they would say, hey, you don't have a jail. You, you don't have a job. You're not working. You're going to be you're going back to jail. Even though let's say they actually do have a job. Let's say they're on break or they're just not working that day. They would still say you are committing a crime and enslave them and mass incarcerate as many people as they could. Um, or let's say there's people who are working off steep fines and they're put in servitude to do that. So these black codes were still loopholes put in to circumvent this amendment to still infringe on their rights because they didn't want to give up slavery. So the next amendment, the 14th amendment was enacted, which basically states no state shall make or enforce any law, which shall abridge the privileges or immunities of citizens of the United States End quote. So basically it actually abolished slavery of any type. It legally combated the black codes and it just equalized everybody. So it deemed all peoples born in the United States citizens and denied any states from revoking these rights or equal or through equal protection clause that there was intended away all United States citizens equally under the judgment of the law. Oh, but there was a loophole with that one with the 14th Amendment because it said that they were equal and it only protected people on the sense of their life, liberty, and property, but it only limits the action of states and local offices, not completely stop them. So open up the door to the Jim Crow laws, that era of separate be equal, because the southern states like that say, like, all right, then they're equal to us, but they're not going to be near us. They're going to have different sections from us. And that was their loophole around that amendment. And that had to be ratified to actually to combat and stop the Jim Crow era. And that was the Plessy versus Ferguson case that started it. And it was ratified after the Brown versus Court case uh, came up. But even fighting through all of that, black people, they still took their time to exercise their right to vote. Actually try to run for offices too. They were trying to still exercise their rights and integrate themselves into this system that was trying to fight them back. Now, for every pro-black push forward, there was a push against them. And this one was disenfranchisement laws. Sounds very familiar because that's still happening to this day. But what they were doing here were acting, were putting in effect of something like literary tests because they knew newly free slaves weren't literate. So you have to take a literary test. If you fail, you can't vote. Um, are you a business owner or do you own a property? If you don't, you can't vote. And another push forward after that was the Colfax Massacre. Um, you'll probably hear people this day call it the Colfax Riot. It wasn't a riot. It was, it was genocide. It was literally that. It was a, it was a major big hate crime. Um, because after the, the disenfranchisement laws... Um, the next step was the rise of domestic terrorism through the Ku Klux Klan. And the Klan actually went to Colfax, Louisiana, uh, the seat of the Grant Parish, and estimated of uh, 62 to 153 black militiamen were killed while trying to fight this, this crazy mob of the Ku Klux Klan and the White League. So they actually took matters into an extreme 
because black people are still fighting forward and exercising their rights to be citizens here. They didn't want to be second class citizens and they were just trying to actually survive, literally. And they ended up turning to domestic terrorism to fight against these black people still exercising the right. But you know what? Ulysses S. Grant actually seeing that the Reconstruction era was in jeopardy and that the um, treaties he was putting into effect to reconstruct the South and integrate these people into the system was threatened, just literally threatened. He wrote against the KKK and he fought them. He fought them as much as he could. He had actually occupied the South with his armies and tried to wipe out as much as he could until it was more like uh, his reelection was coming up. And the South and the North was getting upset with how the North had armies, how they could just occupy any state and control what you were doing with their army. And they were thinking, again, this is government control uh, holding us down. And he had a decision to make and he actually backed down from there. And from that, um, the Klan rose up again and still terrorized people. I would say even till uh, I would say when Lyndon B. Johnson uh, came into power and used the FBI to take down the KKK a second time. But that was a hundred years difference. But even during that time, the hundred years of terrorism, there is still other codes and forces put in effect to make second class citizens out of these newly free, out of these new free, uh, newly freed slaves. And it was well into the 20th century. And so I think it's stuff like the Jim Crow laws of the segregation that was put in effect. There was always something there trying to keep black Americans in servitude or away from power as much as they could. The most egregious, especially of laws that was put in effect, was in the form of redlining, a systematic denial of financial institutions to write mortgages of black people from preventing them from buying homes, especially in other communities. So now we have black Americans who are struggling to buy new homes, trying to get out of a community to a better one for better opportunities, whether it's school, job, or just a place where money is a easier opportunity for them. They want to open up a business. Hey, I can move up here, open up a business over here. But they wouldn't be able to even open up a business, not just homes, but they were just writing. They were just denying mortgages for even businesses to open up. So it would take the activism of civil rights leaders and the Civil Rights Act of 1964 to see most of these legislations overturned and just just so more equality can happen. And it has. It has. And of course, nothing is perfect, but believe me, we are not living in the 60s and 50s right now. Uh, but one thing that has come up just throughout all these decades from 1877, the beginning of the Reconstruction Era, and when it failed all the way up to today is the discussion about reparations. Now, it's come up again in politics. This actually comes up quite often in politics. But think of it now as the new Reconstruction era at the same time as a result because the previous one failed. Now, I've mentioned before about reparations in Evanston and other podcasts about how they were putting that into effect. And that's what this one is about. 
I wanted to cover the history of it. Just look back at the history, explain the idea. So is it solely because Americans were enslaved, thus they deserve compensation? Instead, the picture is actually bigger than that. All right, so even after slavery, black Americans were stripped of their rights by other institutional means. They couldn't vote. Um, they were terrorized. After that, they couldn't buy homes. They were segregated. They were kept away from other opportunities until changes like that happened. So it isn't just about, oh, well, you know, slavery was, you know, started 400 years ago and it ended at the in the middle of the 1800s, like 1860. So nothing to worry about with that. No, it's because just how often these things happen. Hell, to this very day, discrimination laws have been passed throughout the country. Because blacks, and not just black Americans, um, we have so many people of color, Native Americans, they exercise the right to vote. Uh, there is a big turnout of Asian Americans and even Latinos, uh, Latin community. They came out. And now voter, <laughs> voter laws have been changed up in states just so it's harder for people to actually exercise their rights again. Now, I can't speak solely for black Americans, but most of us don't push reparations or demand it. Actually, it's just viewed as an unfulfilled promise. Okay, so when Obama came in office, it's not like we were all waiting on the bill when he would get elected and was right for uh, the House of Representatives vote. Uh, reparations specifically, land reparations, was first brought up as a promise during 1865 under General Sherman's special field order number 15, is to redistribute federal land in the southeast of U.S. to newly freed people. The first time the term 40 acres in a meal was used because it was what was offered. Now, that was supposed to take effect, but Andrew Johnson, he actually ignored the order to return the land to Confederate soldiers as amnesty. And it ended up looking more like a pipe dream further down the years. So about reparations, um, like I said earlier, it isn't a handout. It's something that is earned. Um, just about addressing what happened in the past. Think about it. Black Americans have been killed, denied rights, equal pay, the right of our bodies and building wealth uh, from moving out of neighborhoods, prohibited from living in certain neighborhoods. And we're still fighting for those rights. It's owning accountability for those past atrocities atrocities that literally built this government slaves built the white house slaves built the capital the federal government is responsible for keeping slaves in this country segregation inequality voter suppression and government sponsors experimentation uh, think of the tuskegee experiments in alabama if you don't know about that look it up i just might make that a topic for the podcast later on but keep this in mind about atoning for recent generations of inequality that the government could have addressed during the Reconstruction era, but still affects black Americans every day. Evansville, Illinois is the first, it's, it's not even a city, it's a suburb, it's the first town in America to push this agenda. They're committing $10 million of the marijuana state tax revenue over the next 10 years of distributing $25,000 for housing. Now, it's in hopes of helping to curb the decline of residents and businesses of black Americans in Evanston. Now, this is finally set in stone. Uh, the city council voted on it today, thus passing the bill on March 22nd. 
This stands for anyone living in Evanston between 1919 to 1969 and their descendants, or those who could prove they were subjected to discrimination over housing policies are eligible. So why 1919 and 1969? I believe 1919 because what happened during that time was the Jim Crow era I spoke of earlier with the 14th Amendment being loopholed with the Plessy versus Ferguson. It creates segregation. And of course, during then, just outright denying people their rights was in the eyes of the law there, you know? And that was the start of that. And 1969, because the Civil Rights Act was in 1968, and that included the Fair Housing Act. So landlords cannot prefer or refuse tenants based on race, color, religion, or national origin when advertising or negotiating the sale of rental of a home. It later included bases of sex, people with disabilities, and families with children. But as for after the negotiations or a sale, maintenance and repairs, restricting access to services and amenities, even coercing, threatening, intimidating, or interfering a person's enjoyment or exercise of housing rights are protected under the Fair Housing Act and the Civil Rights Act. So now, 1968, of course, discrimination didn't stop and those who have proof of it are eligible. This is Evanston is precisely addressing the issue of the past and trying to advance it. Whether they want more people of color and businesses owned by them moving in or the opposite of black Americans moving out. But currently they have a makeup of 16% of the 75,000 residents in Evanston being black Americans. Now, these are reparations in the housing department, which is better than nothing but it is an opposition there is an opposition group that prefers the city council to expand payments outside of housing needs i agree to a certain degree with the eviston rejects racist reparations that's the opposition group but it seems other programs outside of the city council are put in place almost to address these things uh, the mayor of eviston uh, stephen haggerty he announced a $1 million fund called Good Neighbor Racial Equity. And to quote what it is, $1 million contribution includes support for minority entrepreneurs, arts organizations, undocumented residents, and socially isolated older adults, as well as funding to operationalize equity and improve language access within city government. Also, there is seed money for a guaranteed income pilot program providing direct financial assistance to a limited number of low-income households, end quote. So actually, that is something outside of the housing um, industry that's helping to address that air of reparations that they're talking about. I mean, if they're thinking that everyone should get uh, checks from Evanston, that might be one thing too, but um, seeing how they're trying to implement this in other parts of the program also uh, help people in low-income households in that case to get back on their feet is a form of that. Also, while this is happening, Northwestern is reviewing grant applications for the pilot racial equity and community partnership grant. Grants awarded to partnerships between community-based nonprofits or groups in Evanston and Chicago and Northwestern facilities students and or staff. 
I think Evanston is actually on a pretty good path here. Um, whether people don't agree with how much money is being spent or how it's being spent, um, at least they're addressing the housing discrimination directly and trying to bring in as many people and businesses to the town of Evanston, uh, that suburb. And I, this is the only place in the country trying something like this. So, And I'm hoping that it's actually going to take off, even on the national level, um, where all of Congress actually, wow, Congress, but majority of Congress agrees on this and passed something on there for there to be reparations. Because, like I said earlier, with these pardons, amnesties, it's just like what I mentioned about Russia. This country's going to forget about its past. It might end up just repeating itself or just not even know what it is anymore. This is about atonement and the systems that was put in effect to keep black Americans uh, almost as second-class citizens from moving up into anything. Uh, all the discrimination that they focus. This isn't about attacking anyone or trying to take something away from anyone. This is literally about addressing it. You know, the country, when I say the country, I mean, especially people in the government level could say like, oh, well, you know, apologies about this, we're moving over. But you can say so much, but not really show anything against it. And after all these years, after all these decades, even as long as I've been alive, there hasn't actually been anything showing that there's been any improvement about um, sincerity regarding it, uh, just to that level. I mean, think about it. You know, to this day, I talk a lot about uh, militias and white terrorism, just terrorism in general here. And just now they're looking at these organizations, um, all these racist militia groups as targets or just enemies of the state, even though they've openly have stated that they are. They would sit there out in Colorado in the middle of nowhere and say like, oh, well, you know what? If any feds show up, uh, we're going to have a hard time trying to infringe my rights. Like, what are you doing? That's going to cause the feds, feds to show up. And you're sitting there saying like, you're going to openly fight the government. Is that what you want? So, and not just that, those are the same people who actually support those last actions I've talked about over all those generations of disenfranchisement. They like the status quo and they will actually fight for those too, such as what we have seen. So that's what this is about. That's what reparations is about. It's not about handouts or anything like that. It's literally about addressing the past and keeping this on a progressive outlook with it. And one thing too is, Let's say, it, I mean, it's not like the whole thing with Evanston is just on a knife edge of it going to fail or whatnot, you know. Basically, with all of this, I'm trying to say is the United States is still an experiment. In the big picture, it's a government exactly 232 years old. Not a lot of years. It's the second attempt at a central government for the United States of America. The first being the Congress of Confederation. This is a system structured from an ancient republic that overcame tyranny at the same time of owning slaves and justifying slavery. There isn't a rule book for every single action that happens. 
Hence, to this very day, the House managers had to cite the Federalist Papers regarding an insurrection. What I'm saying is, as long as progress about addressing the atrocities of the past, even the small steps are worth taking, otherwise, who knows what will happen? We might end up with the same fate as Rome.